ahead and uh, we'll start reading in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So right here, I want to point out the end of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11, it was pretty much the writer encouraging them to stay faithful. Okay, He, he ended chapter 10 with that, and in chapter 11, he's given them all these inspirational stories and examples from the Old Testament of people who through faith did great things. They stayed faithful to the end. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. Some of them received their promises. They received blessings on earth. Some didn't get them until they got to heaven. And he's just encouraging these people, stay faithful, stay faithful. And so when he gets to chapter 12, he's kind of continuing that theme here. And so when he says, wherefore, seeing we are past, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay, that cloud of witnesses that he's talking about there, or that cloud or multitude of witnesses, it was those Old Testament saints that he had been mentioned. You know, we've got all these people that have gone on before us that were great examples, and they are witnesses that, you know, faithfulness works. That having faith is, is a good thing. You know, God will come through. We have all these examples. There's no reason for us to doubt. And so because we've got this cloud of witnesses, people that testify that, you know, God keeps his promises, that God's word is true, that faithfulness works. You know what? Because of that, let's lay aside those weights and sins that are besetting us. Whatever it is that's tripping us up, whatever it is that's stopping us from doing what we're supposed to do, you know what? Let's just get rid of it. And, you know, that is a very un-American attitude, isn't it? You know, Americans, we just want to have it all when it comes to everything. We shouldn't have to do without anything. You know, we've got this mentality. Everything's supposed to be equal. You know, nobody should have more than somebody else. You know, as Christians, we ought to have the attitude, you know, we can do without some things. You know, it might not, you know... It, it's, it's easy to get caught up in materialism and look at what everybody else has, what everybody else does. But you know what? The riches of this world, the possessions of this world, they're not helping people, are they? I mean, you think about the things that everybody's going after. Do they really help people? I mean, do, have smartphones made us better Christians? You know, have, you know, does cable TV and big screen TVs, have they made our lives better? I mean, you know, I think the answer to that is probably no. You know, I mean, even the internet. And I understand there's great things you can do with all these things. But, you know, some of this, I'm afraid a lot of this stuff's weighing us down. It's keeping us down. You know, social media, it's something that can be used for good, but it can also be used for evil. And it is a boat anchor around many people's neck. And people today, they don't want, they're not willing to give anything up. And it's like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can handle living without my television set. I don't know if I can handle you know, living without Facebook or something like that. But if it's weighing you down, you know, considering the fact that we've got this cloud of witnesses, you know what, we've got a greater cloud of witnesses today than they did back then. Because you know what, 2,000 years later, you know, same thing is proven that God is faithful. And that if we'll be faithful, God will reward us. He'll take care of us. And since we have this even greater cloud of witnesses, you know, why wouldn't we be willing to lay some things aside? Why wouldn't we be willing 
to do without some things if it'll further further the gospel, if it'll make us better Christians. That's the attitude that we ought to have. We ought to lay aside anything that would keep us from running the race and running it well. Lay aside weights. If you're going to go run a race, you don't want to go carrying a bunch of extra stuff. You want to get rid of as much weight as you can because it's going to slow you down. And we don't need anything slowing us down. We've got enough working against us today. So we do. We have this vast multitude, this cloud of witnesses. And then, of course, the best one of all in those witnesses that we have is Jesus Christ. And it mentions him in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus Christ was able to endure the cross even though he despised the shame, even though he did not enjoy the pain that he went through, even though he hated it, even though he sweat drops of blood just thinking about just the thought of it, you know, he endured it thinking about what was before him. You know, he, he, you know, he looked ahead. And that's what he's trying to get us to do. That's what faith is. It's us looking ahead, not getting so focused on the here and now, but saying, you know what, I'm going to trust God. I'm just going to believe that he's going to keep his promises. I'm going to stay focused on what's ahead of me, just like Jesus did. So we've got all these other witnesses, but we've got Jesus Christ himself, too, that is a witness. And so that's what he's saying right here in verses 1 and 2. Basically, just, you know... Look at this, these witnesses we have from chapter 11. And so just like the theme he started in chapter 10, let's stay faithful. Don't quit. Faithfulness is not something that you just try for a while. Faithful is something that you do for the rest of your life. It's something that you never quit doing. It's something you do till the grave. Okay? When it comes to being a faithful husband or a faithful wife, the vows are till death do you part. Okay? And if you're a faithful husband or a faithful wife, you... You know, you're not faithful if you're only faithful for 10 years. In fact, you're not faithful if you're not faithful till death do you part. That's what faithful is. And if you quit at any time, it doesn't matter if you're married 50 years, you're not faithful. And the things that God has commanded us to do, we need to do these things till the end. And so look what it says in verse 3. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, I should have used this passage in my message I preached Sunday about, you know, we shall reap if we faint not. And I mentioned on Sunday how we faint in our minds before we faint in our bodies. And he mentions that, you know, he's saying, consider him, think about what Jesus went through, okay? Because there's going to be days where you're feeling bad, where you're feeling beat up, where you feel like you're going through a lot. And there's a danger when we get to feeling sorry for ourselves. What do we often do? We faint in our minds. And what is it that we've always been told to do? You know, if if you're ever feeling down, you know, if you ever feel like your life's rough, you know, go visit a hospital. You know, go visit a nursing home. Go find somebody who's having a harder time than you. And a lot of times it can lift our spirits because we're like, you know what? Things really aren't that bad. I remember uh, our missionary, Brother Bob Johnston, who uh, passed away a couple years ago. I remember me and a couple other preachers went, went to go see him when his wife was in the hospital and was, uh, thought she was going to die of leukemia. And they were telling us, you know, just their testimony and some of the stuff they went through. And man, I remember we went walking out of there and 
uh, Pastor Stephen Barg, he's my cousin, he was, we were, we're just, we're just all kind of quiet when we walked out of there, you know, we were just kind of overwhelmed by just all that we heard and just amazed by their testimony, just a great testimony, and I remember where we got in the elevator and everybody just, we're just all being real quiet, and he was just like, you know, my problems don't seem so bad right now, and, you know, it, that, that's, it was true, you know, when you see somebody who's gone through something worse and you see how they were faithful and God came through for them, it caused you to realize, you know what, I can get through these things too. And we see here that none of us are ever going to go through any more than Jesus did, are we? And so he's saying, you know, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be weary and faint in your minds. Okay? And that's where, where, that's where Christians end up fainting most of the time. We don't faint because we've just been working so hard. We faint in our minds. Why? Because the devil tricks us. The devil tells us that we can't bear these things. Think about Jesus, too, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and hadn't eaten 40 days. What does the devil do? He tempts him with bread. He's trying to get it. He's, he's tempting Jesus with food, trying to trip him up. You know, none of us are ever going to be in greater temptation than that, even. And yet Jesus, he always came through those things. And so anytime we feel like, you know what, I can't do the right thing, I can't handle it, I can't be faithful, you need to understand, you know what, think about Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And then, I like what he says here too, he says, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, this is the way I interpret this passage, okay? Every parent in here has probably quoted this verse to their kids, but not in these words exactly, okay? I mean, how many before your kids ever came to you and, you know, they're crying because they're just going through some horrible crisis, you know? And then what's the, what's the question you often ask? Are you bleeding? You know? <laughs> Are you bleeding? Are you dying? You know? Then you're fine. Isn't that, I mean, how, what parents have said that to your kids or something along those lines? That's what he's saying right here. Hey, he's like, hey... You've not even resisted against again unto blood. This you haven't even the, the persecution, the hard times haven't even started for you yet. You haven't even started to bleed yet. Jesus did bleed, literally. He shed every drop of his blood. You all haven't even started bleeding yet, and you're ready to faint. Jesus didn't give up when he was on the cross, and yet he went and he bore our sins. He did, a, he did the work that he needed to do. He stayed alive for as long as he needed to stay alive until it was finished. And then when it was finished, he gave up the ghost. And here we are going through our lives. We're not even bleeding. And yet we give up. Yet we faint in our minds. And we've all, we've all said that kind of stuff to our kids. And that's what he's saying here. So this is, I think, just his, the writer's his nice way of asking all these people that are crying about their hardships. Like, are you bleeding yet? No, you're not bleeding yet. So you know what? Deal with it. You know, he could have been saying, you know, he, he also could have been saying, you know, you haven't even got to the worst part yet. Because the apostles, I don't know this is Paul, I keep saying Paul. But, you know, all the apostles, they did bleed, didn't they? They did bleed for the cause of Christ. They did suffer greatly on multiple occasions. And here these people are, they're just going through a tough time mentally. I don't know if I can handle this change. I don't know if I can handle, you know, giving up some of those old customs like we've been talking about in the previous weeks. I don't know if I can handle my Hebrew brethren saying negative things about us 
and hearing them say that we've rejected the Old Testament and we're following other gods, I don't know if I can handle hearing the other Hebrews, the unbelieving Hebrews, say bad things about me. And he's telling them, you know what? It's, it's only going to get worse. And you know, the Apostle Paul is reading today in, in the book of Acts how you might remember when, I think it's chapter 21, where he meets up with James and they wanted him to basically go and purify himself is where they used because people were accusing him of going against the law. You know, of teaching people that they didn't need to keep the law because they were believing Jews that were very zealous of the law. Okay? And so, and it, they were, they were kind of like a lot of the, there's a lot of churches out there today that they're very strict, you know, very conservative churches. And what often happens in those churches? They often start teaching, you know, they'll take churches like us that are just hardcore. You just got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And it's like they accuse us of saying the law doesn't matter. It's like, no, we preach that we ought to keep the law too, but just not for salvation. And the Apostle Paul, he, you know, he did, he ended up, ended up going to prison for it, was in prison for a couple of years, and that was when he was getting sent all over the place and going on trial to defend himself because the Jews were accusing him of saying that you didn't need to keep the law. And that kind of thing was going to happen to them too. And we need to understand that you know there's, there's going to be a lot of times when we feel like we're going through difficult times, when we're being persecuted, but you know what? If you're not bleeding, and if you feel like you're about to faint, it's in your mind. And you need to look unto Jesus. Because he did bleed, and yet he didn't give up, he didn't quit. So look what it says in verse 5. It says, And, had, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they fairly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now I want you to notice here what he's, what he's telling them in this passage. This passage here, it often gets taken and used to teach another doctrine that's, you know, has a lot of flaws in it. And part of their problem is they're not looking at that context and what he's actually trying to teach them right here when it comes to the chasing of the Lord. Because notice... What he's trying to teach him is not to faint when you're punished. Okay? When, you know, whenever you, uh, the Lord, you're rebuked by the Lord. Verse 5, when it says, you know, my son despise not thou the chasing of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. You know how many Christians give up and quit just because they got rebuked? Maybe they got rebuked of the Lord. Maybe they got rebuked of their pastor. I know people, I've had people that I just, I rebuke them for something in a really nice way. I mean, I mean you all know I'm nice. I don't, I'm really nice. Even if I'm correcting somebody, I'm not, I've never yelled. It, it, you know, I think I've only yelled at somebody one time in church. In, in church that I can think of. Maybe one time. I might, be, might, might have forgotten some. But that was just so they could hear me. 
because they were yelling too. But anyway, <laughs> um, and you know, and that, that all that all took care of itself. But I, I'm I'm not like that. But just that rebuke, they couldn't handle it. They fainted. They gave up. They quit. They got their feelings hurt, like a millennial. Because they were a millennial. But anyway, uh, it, it, and that's how a lot of people are. They can't handle rebuke. And don't you love that as parents, you know, when you go and you rebuke your children and then they start crying? Okay? And, you know, it's one thing when your kids cry because you spanked them. But it's another thing when they cry just because they got rebuked. Alright? And I'm sure all your kids have done that before. I know all my kids have done that. And that is annoying as a parent. Why are you crying? I did not spank you. I yelled at you. That doesn't hurt. But do they not act like it hurts sometimes? And what some of the you know, maybe my kids are the only ones that have ever done this, all right? But I remember Abby used to do this when she when she was really little. And Lana still does a little bit, but I think Abby was the worst. But if you would, like, yell at Abby, her, like, entire body would just go limp, you know? And sometimes you just go fall into the ground, you know? Like, just all her bones were out of joint or something. And... We're going to see here in this passage, it kind of give, I think it gives an example of that. But that's how a lot of people are. It's just like, you know, all they just lose all strength. And they just literally flop out. Why? Because they got yelled at. Because they got rebuked. You know what? Man up. And I, I know some grown men that can't handle a little bit of correction. They can't handle getting rebuked. They can't handle somebody, you know, pointing in their face and yelling at them. And they cry like little babies. And a lot of the people that do this, too, are the millennial generation. That, man, you do, you got to handle them with great care. you got to be so careful how you talk to them. or You're going to hurt their little feelings. And they are done for. I mean, you just disagree with them. And they cry like little babies. And I'm telling you... Being a millennial is not a new thing. Apparently there was millennials back then. People who were fainting. Why? Because they got rebuked of the Lord. They couldn't handle the fact that somebody got onto them. And I do think we're worse than ever today. You know, when you can't even use red ink because it makes a kid feel too bad. I mean, what's that kid going to do when you yell at him? You know, and I, I think we need to go back to, I don't know, I, uh, is, if, you know, if you're going to raise somebody's kids in a school, right? If I've got to take care of your kids and I have to educate your kids, I should be allowed to spank them. Alright? Now, nobody else is going to spank my kids. But you know what? I'm not going to ask anybody to watch them all day and educate them. But if I do, I should let them do that. And they should be able to put them in a dunce cap and make them stand in the corner in front of the whole class. And I would be all 100% for that. You know, the world is a better place. School is a better place when that happened. You know, back when kids wore dunce caps and got spanked in school, nobody ever shot each other. Think about that for a minute. Nobody ever shot each other, and everybody had guns back in those days. Every house had guns back in the day when kids would get humiliated in front of the school. They'd have to stand in the corner, wear a dunce cap, get their hands slapped with a ruler, and nobody ever shot at the school back then. Nowadays, you can't even mark their test with red ink. You got to call them their gender preferred pronouns, and what is that doing to help? They're shooting up schools. I mean, what in the world? So millennials are nothing new, but he, it's telling us here in this passage: don't faint when you're rebuked of the Lord. Don't faint when you're chastened. God does that to those that He loves. Okay, you know, there's a lot of people 
that I would not rebuke. There's a lot of people that I would not even try to correct just because of the fact, one, I don't even think they're a brother in Christ. You know, they're not a part of this church. And maybe I don't even really care about them. But you know what? If I care about somebody, if they're a brother in Christ, they're a member of this church, if I consider them a part of my family, as a pastor, I might have to say some things sometimes that aren't pleasant. And you know what that just means? That just means that I love you. That means that I care about you. There's some things, if I see some of you going into the bar, I'm going to say something to you. But I don't say it to anybody else that's going into the bar. You know what? Those people aren't my friends. Those people don't go to my church. They're not a part of my family. So I'm not going to say anything. So whenever God's coming down on you, just understand that that's because you're his child. And you know what? Don't feel bad. Don't faint. He does it with all his children. See, people like to take this passage too. And it's like, you know, if you're not being chastened, you know, you're not a child of God. You know, you're not really saved. And let, it does say he scourges every son he receiveth. But you know what? That is a bad... We're not supposed to use that passage so we can know who's saved and who's not saved. Well, I don't see the chastening hand on Brother Lonnie right now, so I don't think he's saved. Well, here's the thing. He might be being chastened and I don't know about it. How many of you, when you were a kid and you got spanked, you made sure you went and told all your brothers and sisters that you got spanked? Okay, Me, I didn't want my sisters to know. I didn't want them to get any joy from it. I didn't go broadcast it to them. I didn't tell all my friends, hey, guess what happened? I got spanked yesterday. I, I didn't do any of that. Oftentimes, if I get spanked, you know, I would do all I could not to cry, you know, not to make it obvious that I had been punished or that, that I, you know, or that it hurt because of the fact I, I didn't want people, I didn't want people to know. So you need to understand that God could be chastening one of his children and we don't know it. So when you see somebody, you know, not living like a Christian, I don't see the chastening hand of God on them. They're not really a child of God. That's not what this passage is trying to teach us. It's not trying to help us identify who's saved and who's not saved. It's trying to tell those of us who may be being chastened by God not to faint. Not to feel, you know, don't go acting like something weird's going on. God does this with all of his children. So just deal with it. You know, put up with it. You can handle it. And we shouldn't we should be like children have a meltdown after rebuke. And, you know, parents, so you know, I said, parents, we're not, we're, not, we're not mad at our kids when they're crying because they got spanked. All right? We know those spankings hurt. We know it brings pain. We're not so mad when they cry after getting spanked. Well, what makes me mad is when they're crying before they even get spanked. You know, that, that's, what, that's what makes me mad. And we shouldn't be surprised... God does this with all of His children. And look, look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. Because this right here in Hebrews is actually quoting Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. It says the exact same thing. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as the Father, the Son in whom He delighteth. Right? So God does, that's what God does. So we shouldn't be surprised. In Hebrews, don't you be surprised. You know this from the book of Proverbs, that this is what God does to His children. This is something that you understand. This is something that you've been taught. And so I can't possibly know who should get chastened or if someone does get chastened. Okay? And, you know, but one thing I would do sometimes as a kid, and preachers that try to use this pa uh, passage so they can prove who's saved and who's not saved, 
They're just like me when I was a kid. All right. If my sisters did something bad, I always wanted to make sure they did get in trouble. You know, I would always make sure to report these things to dad. And I would always want to make sure, you know, you know, and sometimes he just wouldn't respond. You know, and it was just like, aren't you going to spank him? <laughs> you know, and there were times when I know when I was growing up too, you know, even with me and I know he did the same thing with my sisters where he did deal with us, but maybe it was later when they were around and he, he wouldn't let them, you know, wouldn't let them know about it. It's just, it's none of their business. And I learned that too, you know, when I first started in the ministry and, you know, we had Tommy and Jason real early and I had these people, I had one person in particular in the church who used to love to tattle on every little thing that my kids did. And I didn't want to be one of those parents that, you know, I'm a new parent. I didn't want to be one of those parents that, whose kid never does anything wrong. So, you know, I always made sure I came down on them and all that and dealt with it. But then I figured out this person, I think, enjoys tattling on my kids. And so I finally just, whenever I would, whenever they would come up and tattle, I was like, okay, thanks for letting me know. And I would, and it was like, I remember the one time they stood there looking at me like, so aren't you going to do something about it? And I just acted like I wasn't going to do anything about it. And I did something about it later, but I never let them know. And you know what? They quit doing that. And so we, that, what we need to understand about this passage, this is not a passage that any preacher should use to prove Someone else isn't saved. Okay, this is not an assurance of salvation passage. This is a passage telling the children of God not to faint when they get chastened of God or when they're rebuked of God. He does it with all of his kids. This isn't a big deal, and you know what? It's for your good. Okay, it, it's good. Chastening's not fun, like like many difficulties what we go through, but it's for our own good. He explains that. In verses 10 and 11. So now look at here in verse 12 what it says. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. What's he talking about there? Okay? This is kind of what I was talking about before. Okay? Lift up your hands that hang down. I talked about how, you know, Addy would just kind of melt. You know, you, you just you drop the hands. Lana does that same thing. When we get on to her, she just kind of drops like that. She doesn't fall to the ground like Abby would sometimes. But not only does she kind of drop like that, but then her chin just, you know, she gets the long chin, the lip sticks out, all that stuff. You know, it's like partial paralysis in her body. And, you know, and that's how, that's how we are. It's like, you know, some Christians, we walk around like that, just moping and, and down and you know what he's thinking? He's like, lift up your hands. That's something we do when we're excited, right? When we're, you know, when you're excited about something, yes, we lift up our hands. When we're down, we drop them. And he's telling them, hey, when you're going through these things, stop being a wimp. You know, you're not even bleeding. Get up. You know, we tell Lana all the time, stick that lip back in your mouth. You know, she gets that poochy lip all the time. Stick that lip back in your mouth. Stand up straight. And that's what, that's what he's telling them there. He's rebuking them, and then he says, you know, make straight paths for your feet. You know, don't be staggering around like you're about to die, because all that happened is you got rebuked of the Lord. Otherwise, someone who actually is feeble, somebody who actually is going through difficult times, they're going to see you flopping out over nothing, and they're going to feel justified in flopping out. They're going to feel justified in giving up. 
And I mean, how many of us before we've been put to shame by other people where we were about to give up, we were about to flop out, and then we see somebody, you know, like the Johnsons, that are going through, I mean, trials like we've never gone through before, and not only are they staying faithful, I mean, they're, I mean they are they're excited. They're praising the Lord. And then you do, it's like, you know what? I better step up my game a little bit. You know what? I better, I better get excited. If they can be excited, I can be excited. But then, you know, when we are, when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, and man, we do, we feel like we're carrying the weight of the world. We feel like we're going through a harder time than anyone's ever gone through before. And then we see other people giving up over nothing. You know what it does? It causes us not to feel so bad about us giving up. I mean, people are giving up on all, you know, left and right. They're dropping out of church for every little thing. Here I am just enduring. I'm suffering. I got it harder than anybody else. You know what? If they can drop out, I can drop out too. And it's being a bad example. And that's what he's saying right there in verse 13. You know, we need, we need to show people. We need to set an example that, you know what? We can be strong. We can lift up our hands. And we can be joyful even in the most difficult times. Don't give, don't give up. Don't have a meltdown. Be strong. Um, look at what it says in verse. Oh, uh, lost my spot. Or look at Isaiah chapter thirty-five in verse three. Isaiah thirty-five in verse three. This is because that passage is also quoting an Old Testament verse. Okay, notice what he's doing here. You know, he's he's rebuking them. You know, he's telling them the man up. He's telling them to stand up straight, lift up your hands. That's a quote from Isaiah thirty-five three. It says, "Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees." Okay. Stand up straight, toughen up, be a man, endure, deal with it. That's what that's what he's saying right there. And then look at uh, verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Okay? Follow peace and holiness. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. I want to show you a verse there. Because a lot, a lot of times people might use a verse like that. This is a great verse for people who like to take verses out of context. For some of these preachers that just you know use random verses that fit with their fit their thought, even if it you know it's completely out of context. You know this is one Pastor Trendy should use. You know he could use to say you know let's just you know we need to get along. We need to be at peace with everybody. Let's go along with the government. Let's do everything. That ought to be the goal following peace with all men. But understand, it also says in that, in that verse, it says, follow peace with all, all men and holiness. Okay? Holiness does not leave room for compromise. Okay? Let me say that again. Holiness does not leave room for compromise. Okay? If we're going to live holy, we have to follow the Word of God, don't we? We have to follow up. But, we need to try to live peaceably with all men. That ought, that ought to be our goal. That ought to be something we attempt to do. But you know what? Sometimes it can't be done. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it says, uh, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You know what? I'm all for making peace with people. I'm all for getting along with people. I want to get along. I want to have friends. But you know what? I'm going to follow peace and holiness. So guess what? 
That means I'm not going to link arms, you know, with the Catholics and with the Charismatics and people like that. Yeah, do I, do I want to make peace with them? Uh, yeah, but I got to have holiness too. That means my way of trying to make peace with them is getting them saved, you know, and telling the truth. And sometimes it might even mean rebuking sometimes. But we need to remember that. Don't ever let anybody use that verse as an excuse to compromise and just go along with everything. No, we're going to follow peace and holiness. And holiness doesn't leave any room for compromise. And so, uh, look at what it says in verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Um, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burneth fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So notice, first off, what we see here, we need to understand that our actions have consequences. This is why it's important that we stay faithful. This is important why we don't give up. We don't have time to just take a break, to be feeling sorry for ourselves, to be flopping on the ground and getting away from the things of God because when we do, our actions have consequences that sometimes there's just no remedy. There's no way around them. And when we fail, we fail the grace of God when we do not allow it to produce good in our lives. When we don't allow the grace of God to produce good things in our life, you know, we're a bad testimony. That's what it's talking about right there. And our bad testimony can often turn people away. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us to be godly. Okay? And the grace of God that brings us salvation has appeared to all men. And people understand that the grace of God in your life should produce some good fruit. But you understand when it doesn't, when we don't let it, when we're being wicked, we're going to turn people away, aren't we? We're going to be a bad testimony. And notice what it says in here. It mentions, you know, it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Okay? We all know the story of Esau selling his birthright. Now, why did Esau sell his birthright? It was to satisfy the flesh, wasn't it? He was hungry. And for one morsel of meat, he threw away his birthright. That was not a good trade. You understand? That was a foolish trade for him to go and get rid of his birthright for one morsel of meat. And do you understand that many people, they throw away their testimony for one sin? Like, that's what fornicators do. Fornicators, seeking after some physical pleasure, they'll throw away their purity. There's often, you know, they many times end up getting diseases. They end up destroying relationships for just a little bit of pleasure that's not going to last them. Do you understand when it comes to eating something, you're going to get hungry again later. And you know what? A person who commits fornication, they're only going to want to do it again later. It's only satisfying a temporary physical need. That's it. 
and people will throw their lives away. Many young ladies and young men, they throw away an opportunity of getting a good spouse for just a little bit of pleasure. Don't do that. You know what? Be faithful. Yes, there's going to be temptations. Yes, you, you know, you're going to find yourself, you're, as a, if you're a young man or a young woman, you're going to desire to do some things that you shouldn't do. But you know what? Don't do it. Don't go throwing away uh, the possibility of a good future for just a little bit of pleasure. Stay faithful. God will, God will bring you a spouse. God will take care, God will take care of those needs. You just got to stay faithful. You got to keep on doing the right thing. Don't give up. Don't be an Esau. And it's, it's sad what I've seen some young people throw away their purity for just some bum that only thought about themselves. I mean, there are some of the most pathetic, you know, let me just rant about this for a minute, folks, all right? But, you know, you think about just some of these just deadbeat, loser, I don't even want to call them men, people of the male gender. You've got grown men who don't have jobs. They haven't got an ounce of character. They haven't even got enough character to just take a bath and comb their stinking hair. They dress like a slob. They, you know, they, they smell bad. And then they go and they can still sweet talk some girl into fornicating with them. What in the world? He's not well. I mean, I, there's women I know out there that are literally providing for the men. And the guy won't even commit to them. He won't even marry them. And they will go and they will let this man have his way with their body, many times get them pregnant, only to freak that guy out so he can run off. Really? I mean, you're going you're gonna to throw it all away for a pile of garbage like that? And understand, this is, this is what our society has done. This is what feminism has done. Feminism has brought down, in, in saying they're trying to elevate women, they have brought down the self-esteem of women so much that it has made women more than willing to let bums like that all over their body. I mean, you think about that. You think about what feminism has done. They have devalued women so much. They have devalued purity so much that we see that kind of junk going on and it's from a group that's supposedly about elevating women. They have brought them down so low. And you know what? I mean, shame on our society. And you know what? Shame on dads. You know, when we, when we let that happen, we've got, to under, we've got to make our girls understand that they are valuable. That, they are, that they're, if they're a virtuous woman. That price is far above rubies. And that these bums out there, some pathetic guy that can't even get a job, is not, he's got no business even looking at our daughters. And you know, I don't want to teach my girls to be a snob. Well, I do. I want them to snub bums like that. If some pathetic millennial comes along with no job, I mean, just reeks of B.O., dresses like a slob, I mean, just no character at all, and he comes along and he wants to pursue my daughter, I hope she shuts him down so fast. I hope she turns her nose up at him like, you are not worthy, bub, because you know what? He's not. My daughters have value. And I'm going to te- I want to teach them that. And, it's, and yet I've seen young women who, they did, they were pure. And there's great price in that. There's great value in that. And they have thrown it away for just a little bit of pleasure. You know, because they got tired of waiting. 
I'm an old man. I'm 20 years old. And God hasn't brought me a husband yet. You know what? Be faithful. God will bring them along. Don't settle. Do, you know, just keep on doing the right thing. You know, follow holiness. Man, I wish we could get, I wish we could get women to do that. Maybe it would make some of these men go out and start manning up a little bit. You know, I, I was a typical man growing up. I wanted a woman. But somehow I had this idea in my head that if I was going to get a woman, I had to get married first. I don't know where I got that idea from. You know, I was also, I had this idea too, you don't get married if you can't provide for a wife. And so I had to go out and get a job that I didn't really want to get. But it was one, you know, it worked hard, it paid good. I needed to be able to support a wife. And I didn't know. I didn't know that I could be a deadbeat and go on welfare somewhere and I could find some woman that I wouldn't even have to marry. But you know what? Let me tell you something. I've seen what those women turn into. And yeah, I'm glad I did what I did. Because that's how you get the good ones. And so you got you got to get a job first and you know have a little bit of character and marry them first. That's where the good ones are at. Not some of these horror stories that are out there and just uh, that... Make me shiver in a bad way. Just to think, oh, that, that, would, that would be a horrible, what a nightmare. So, don't give, you know, we do, we give up for the smallest things. We quit over the littlest things. And that's what, that's what this chapter has been all about so far. So we need to, our actions have consequences. Sometimes we can't recover from them. Our failures in life, they often come because we are looking for instant gratification from something that was just very temporary. And we, we need to learn to get over that. That's one of the reasons I think fasting is a good thing. It's amazing how quickly we give up on fasting. Can't even go three or four hours without, you know, we think fasting is what we do at night when we sleep because that's what breakfast, you know, we're breaking the fast, right? You know, if, if we don't get up and eat a midnight snack, you know, and then we break our fast every morning for breakfast. That, that's, that's what we think. That's what we think fasting is, but. You know, God expects more from us. Look what it says in verse 18. Verse 18, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burn with fire into the blackness and darkness and tempest. I don't have time to go back and look, uh, read all the story. This was in uh, Deuteronomy, I believe it was. Um, or, no, it was in Exodus. It says, And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, which voice they heard, entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned to thrust through with the dark. Remember when God was going to come down the mountain in Exodus chapter 32? And God told him, don't let any of the people even come near the mountain. Don't let them come gazing up here. And, that, and God came down that mountain and the mountain quaked. Y'all remember that? Anything touches that mountain, it dies. You kill it. And it says, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him 
that speaketh from heaven. Uh, so we'll stop reading right there. Notice what he's saying right here in this passage. He's making it clear that you know, we, we have something better. You think about what took place back then in the Old Testament. Okay? On Mount Sinai, it was such a big thing. You know, the mountain quake, nobody was able to touch the mountain. Okay? Well, we have something that's even better now. We have something better than what Abel had. We've, and we, you know, we're able to approach the throne of grace boldly. We've got so much more going for us. Remember, we have a better testament, a better high priest. We've got better everything. God expects more. We, he was using in chapter 11 all these Old Testament examples of their great faith they have. And he's telling them, hey, because you have them as an example, don't give up. You all aren't even going through what they went through. And yet you're wanting to faint. You're wanting to give up. And not only that, let's take a step further. You're wanting to faint when you haven't even gone through what the Old Testament saints have gone through. And you have been set up so much better than they have. You have so much more than they had. Basically, I think what he's saying here is you're really pathetic. You're really pathetic if you give up, if you quit, because you've got so much more than they had. We've got this great cloud of witnesses. We've got this great example. But yet we've got something that's so much better, so much greater, and yet you quit, you give up. There's something wrong with that. That's what he's saying, that's what he's saying right here. In this, in this passage, let's keep reading verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Okay, the things from the Old Testament that were a big deal, God now has done something greater. What He is saying now has shaken the earth and the heavens. And those things that He shook, it made those things of the Old Testament go away. Those old carnal ordinances. And the things that He has set up today are never going to go away. This is something that's forever, once again, just showing how much better things are now than what they were before. It says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So look, uh, and right there, that last verse, after he's saying all this, just showing the mighty God we have, he mentions how he's a consuming fire. He's quoting Old Testament again. Haggai 2, 5 says, According to the word that I have covenanted with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with the glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Right there is a prophecy of what was to come. You know what he's doing right here once again? Because he mentions things being shaken, going away. Which once again, for these Jews that were used to those old customs, it probably freaked them out a little bit. So what does he do? Whenever he's freaking them out by some of that stuff, he always quotes Old Testament. Hey, guess what? This is in Haggai too. 
Haggai mentioned that there was something coming where God was going to speak and he was going to shake the whole world. He was going to shake the heavens. And he, and, and he said it was going to happen when the desire of nations come. What is the de- desire of nations? Jesus Christ. Anybody thinking of a song right now? Come desire of nations, come. Okay? Fixing us thy humble home. That's talking about Jesus Christ. We sing that at Christmas. That's what happened when Jesus came to earth. That prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus Christ was the desire of nations. He didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the whole world. For all the world. And then Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. That's what I was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. So, just basically to sum up this chapter, we have no excuses for quitting. We have no excuses for a lack of faithfulness. We have a great multitude of examples. We have that cloud of witnesses. You know, we've got the characters in the Bible. You know, I've got people in my own life. Bob Johnson, who I was talk, I've been talking about in this message. You know, he's somebody who's faithful until he died. He's in heaven now. Somebody that I knew personally, somebody who went through more than I've ever gone through, probably more than I ever will go through, and yet the guy always had an upbeat spirit. The guy, whenever I was around him, he always encouraged me. No matter what he was going through. I can't quit when I haven't even gone through anything like that man has gone through. When I've got examples like that. You know, I can't quit if I get tired of pastoring, you know, after six or seven years, almost seven years, I can't quit when I have a dad who's been pastoring now for almost 30 years in one place. I came out, I've done seven years, that was good enough. I can't do that. I've got, I've got that example right there. So I feel like a loser if I quit or you know, if I think I'm, you know, I've finished the course because I did seven years. I've got, too many, I've got too many good examples in my own personal life of people who were faithful to the end who didn't give up. I can't give up and say, you know, me and my wife have been married for almost 17 years now. That's good enough. That's better than most people. I know too many people have been married longer than that. Y'all see what it's saying right there? We've got these examples. And in the end, okay, no matter what you ever go through, we still got Jesus, the author and finisher of our, our faith. None of us will ever go through more than him. So we have no excuse. We have, no, we ha- we have more knowledge today. We've got, we've got the Old and New Testament. We've got a better covenant that God has given us. We've, been, we've received an abundance of grace. And if we fail, okay, any of us who give up, any of us who are not faithful, any of us who get out of the will of God, if we give up, if we quit, it will be because we fainted in our minds. It won't be because we just... Literally got the snot beat out of us or, you know, suffered great persecution. No matter what, even in the tribulation, okay, you know, it's easy to get scared reading about the tribulation, but you know what? Anybody think we're going to go through anything worse than Jesus did? You know what? I, I, don't, th- I don't think we really need to, wor- I don't think we need to worry about it. You know what I think we need to do? I think we need to lift up our hands. We need to strengthen our feeble knees. And we need to stay faithful Don't quit. God has proved over and over again through the Scripture that He keeps His promises. He rewards those who are faithful. And so, let's keep going. 
Let's not stop. Let's not give up. Nobody go fainting on. Don't go fainting on me. Don't go passing out. You're not bleeding. Okay? And if you all want to come, want me to give you a pity party sometime, I'll give you a pity party, even if you're not bleeding. All right? You know, I'll, I'll try to lift you up and encourage you. But you know what? But, but uh, you know, we ought to at least, you know, if, you, if you're going to give up, wait until you, like Paul, maybe get stoned almost to death, get beaten with rods. When you go through something like that, you know, if, if you quit soul winning because, you know, you got beat half to death or somebody shot you or something like that, I guess I'll kind of, but if it's just because I'll kind of understand, I, I won't agree with it, but, but if you quit just because somebody slammed the door in your face, sorry, you're no Apostle Paul. You know, we ought to be, if he could handle what he handled, we ought to be able to handle getting the door slammed in our face with somebody cussing us out. So that's what Hebrews 12 is all about right there. And then also, if you're being chastened, don't give up. Don't act like my kids do sometimes. All right? Toughen up. Stand up, be, stand up straight. Be strong. Take your medicine. God does with, does with, with all his kids. And I, I hope that was a help to you. So that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this chapter and the encouragement it gives us. Dear God, I pray you'll help us, Lord, to... Uh, to learn from it when we're going through hard times, when we feel like fainting, Lord, help us just to, just to be strong. Help us to toughen up. Help us not to faint in our minds. Help us to look to the examples that we have in your word. Help us to look to the examples that we have in our lives. And I pray you'll, uh, that we'll be a people that will endure to the end, that we'll be faithful no matter what. It's easy to say we'll be faithful, Lord, but it can be hard to do it. But I pray you'll help us to practice the things that are specifically mentioned in this chapter, so we will do the right thing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand. Let's sing. Let's go ahead and sing 650. Let's sing Redeemed, page 650.